Hello, and welcome to the Spotlight Edition of ESG Now. I'm your host, Bentley Kaplan. I am still locked down with my kids. Days are blurring into weeks and weeks into months. So big shout out to the industries that are keeping us sane with bright, shiny toys, children's literature and blanket forts and wine. Don't ever forget about the wine. Now, in our Spotlight Edition, we're rifling through shelf loads of our research to pull out the bits covered with highlighters, post-its and passionate analyst scrawlings. You know, the juicy bits. Our aim is to get you, our most beloved listeners, a little peek behind the curtain to let you know what we're really thinking and how our research team peers out of the world through their ESG-tinted glasses. On today's show, we are going to take a look at externally managed companies. Because at a distance, although it may sound drier than a chicken bone in the desert, when you start digging a little deeper, an externally managed company is basically a living, breathing case study to test out the balances of power and influence between different role players in a company. You see, for 98% of the nearly 9,000 companies in MSCI's Acqui IMI index, it goes a little something like this. Investors buy a company's debt or equity. Shareholders then elect representatives, the board, and the board chooses people to run the day-to-day operations of the company, the company's executives like its CEO and CFO. The executives answer to the board, and the board answers to shareholders. But for the other 2% of those nearly 9,000 companies, well, they kind of went a different way. They looked at the shareholder board management dynamic and just shifted some things around, tried out something a little more feng shui. And these 2% of companies are not obscure investment vehicles from the dark corners of the market. They're unit investment trusts or business development companies. But they're also real estate investment trusts or REITs. And for a lot of investors, REITs are an easy and convenient way to invest in property. In a way, letting you buy shares in properties like shopping malls or office complexes or even something hashtag famous like the Empire State Building. And if you are invested in an externally managed company like a REIT, buyer beware. Because kind of like planning a wedding, if you're not paying attention to all the moving pieces, at the end of it all, you can find yourself a few too many tequilas down the hatch, staring into the mid-distance, wishing you had been just a little more careful. To take us on this journey, I've borrowed Marlon Walterson, one of our heroic governance analysts based in MSCI's Tokyo office. Marlon has just written a great paper, Externally Managed Companies, a Practical Guide for Institutional Investors. And in the current clickbait storm that is the internet, I am a big fan of a straight shooting title. For now, Marlon's actual paper is only available for MSCI's clients. But I wanted to get out just a few juicy details for our most lovely ESG Now listeners. So Marlon, before we get into those juicy details, let's lay this out. At an externally managed company, it goes a little something like this. Shareholders elect the board, yay, but the board doesn't appoint employees of the company to be its managers, like the CEO or CFO. Instead, management services are provided by a separate management company, and the executives making key operational decisions are not employees of the company, but of that separate management company. And that's a fundamental shift from the more typical internal management approach. Because essentially, you're outsourcing the company's most important decisions. And for a real estate investment trust, or REIT, it can get even trickier than that. Because a REIT can have something called a sponsor. And although it has a friendly name, the sponsor is kind of like a godfather. It's the company that first set up the REIT. And maybe not surprisingly, the sponsor often holds a dominant stake in the REIT. And because of their voting power 
the sponsor will probably also have representatives on the REIT's board. But what really arches the eyebrows of a shrewd governance analyst is that the sponsor often has a relationship with the so-called external manager. Sometimes the external manager is even a subsidiary of the sponsor. And I know, this is starting to get a little fuzzy already. Think of it this way, it's kind of like planning your wedding. And lucky you, your future in-laws have offered to cover 60% of the wedding's costs. In a REIT, your in-laws are basically the sponsors. And the only condition your in-laws have for this generosity is that they get to sit on the official wedding planning committee. Or the board, if you'll indulge this analogy. They also hire a wedding planner to make things easier. You know, to make some of the more important but very tedious decisions. In our REIT, this would be the external manager. And as the months go by, you do have much less admin than you thought you would. But just between us, you're also not totally happy with how your wedding is shaping out. You never really wanted a string quartet, or for this to be a four-day affair at a golf resort. I mean, you don't even play golf. And you love your partner, sure, but even so, isn't it a little OTT to have a hundred lovebirds released when you finish your vows? But the wedding planner reassures you that this is all very normal, and your future in-laws, who are paying for a lot of these lovebirds, seem very chill. So you just brush it off. No, but Marlon, I digress. So please help save our listeners from this analogy. Let's get back to the real world and externally managed companies. Now, if they are such complicated setups, why do they make sense in the first place? Like, what's the rationale for an externally managed company? It allows you to get economies of scale and also employees, for example, that are employed by the manager that have a lot of experience in the area, may have experience from working on other REITs. A newly started REIT might not be able or might not have the resources to hire those kind of skilled personnel. Okay, and that actually makes sense. A sharp management team of executives with glossy headshots don't come cheap. So instead of having them on full-time, you sort of club together with a bunch of other companies and then split their salary costs. And the same goes for a wedding planner. When you hire one, it's not like they are solely dedicated to planning your wedding. They're planning other weddings at the same time. Maybe they run another business altogether. They've got their own irons in the fire. But having a wedding planner on a contract basis is pretty common. Whereas outsourcing the key management decisions of a company is not. So Marlon, by shifting the company's management team outside the company, what's the major difference from an internally managed company? Is there something investors should be paying attention to? There's kind of a triangle relationship between the REIT and the sponsor and the management firm. There might be things going on there that isn't always clear to uh, shareholders. A lot of the cases, the management firm isn't publicly traded and not required to disclose as much as a publicly traded um, internally managed company would. So the management firm does have kind of a the upper hand since they are the ones running the company. They will know like the ins and outs of the REIT and the board is just there trying to supervise. I'm sure there are cases where they won't really have uh, the same insight as the management firm. Right. So this is where the warning signs start flashing. Because if your board knows less than the external manager, how can you really assess whether everything is above board? In an internally managed company, the board knows a lot about its executives, especially how much they're getting paid and why. 
But as an investor or even the board at an externally managed company, there may be no way to get your hands on that information, even if you really wanted to. Marlon, from an investor perspective, if you're invested in an externally managed company where you have this information asymmetry between the board and the external manager, what types of risks could you be looking at? So I think we would say that the main risk is the agency risk and like the potential extraction of benefits from the REIT by the management company or by the sponsor. And those kind of agency risks would arise from, for example, the management company contract and fees. So in a lot of cases, the fee being paid to the external manager is considered as a related party transaction. And of course, they need to pay the fee to the external manager for doing its services. But any kind of extra fees with the external managers or with its affiliates that are not undertaken a kind of arm's length should be a concern for investors. Right. So there are a couple of things to unpack there. And they all kind of turn on that magic phrase, related party transactions. To the non-trained ear, it might sound like corporate jargon. But to someone like Marlon, who spends their days digging into how companies govern themselves, related party transactions are a very big deal. It's basically a big flashing light that says, hey, have a look here. There's some kind of deal or payment happening between two groups that know each other. And because they know each other, this payment or deal might have angles or interests that are influencing whether it happens in the first place or whether both parties are getting a fair deal. And Marlon's point was that for an externally managed REIT, even the basic management fees that are being paid to the external manager to do their day-to-day job should be examined very carefully. And that's because the external manager often has a relationship with the REIT sponsor, the major shareholder that set up the REIT in the first place. And sometimes the external manager is even a subsidiary of the sponsor. And in that case, the sponsor controls the external manager, has major influence on the board of the REIT, And when the REIT pays the external manager, it's also kind of like the sponsor paying itself. And I know, this feels a little like a game of I am my own grandpa, but bear with me. Because in the REIT as wedding analogy, it turns out that the wedding planner is actually an old friend of your in-laws to be. And that means that anything that your wedding pays to the wedding planner is actually a related party transaction. And that should make you start asking questions. Questions like, are we, and remember you are paying for 40% of this wedding, are we paying a fair price to the wedding planner? And if we're paying too much, is there some kind of benefit your in-laws-to-be could be getting in return? Like maybe a favor in the future? Or in being able to request specific details behind your back? Like making convincing arguments that a golf estate is actually a great venue for a wedding. But let's go back to the real world for just a second. Because Marlon, after reading your paper, I found out that there was one more twist in the tale of externally managed companies. One that goes beyond the complexity of these related party transactions. And maybe we can tackle it like this. What happens when the external manager starts doing a bad job or investors start getting a little miffed about how many bonus payments the manager is getting? Because in my head, I'm picturing a big red you're fired button. Please tell me that there is actually such a button somewhere. In a lot of cases, it might be very difficult for shareholders to change the manager. Um, Oftentimes, the REIT's external manager will have representatives on the board. The external manager might have influence on the board rather than the board having influence on the external manager. 
I've seen companies having 20, 30 years of contracts that are renewed every year. They could also have a, a really high termination fee. Cases where the termination fee basically is as much as half of the company's uh, market cap. The termination fee can be so high that it's really not worth it. It would probably be easier to just wrap up <laughs> the whole read rather than paying all the termination fee to the external manager. Okay. okay, now we are wading into deep waters. The external manager can basically latch on like a limpet, especially if they have the backing of the sponsor or in this upside-down world, actually have seats on the board. And in this type of setup, there's actually very little that an ordinary investor can do, especially if the cost of getting rid of the external manager is basically just a doomsday machine in disguise. I mean, imagine if, in this ill-fated wedding analogy, your endless nights of cold sweats become too much to take, and at 3am, you send a firm email to the wedding planner to tell them, thanks, but their services are no longer required only for you to get a call from your mother-in-law the next morning to say not to worry that they've smoothed out the misunderstanding and everything will go ahead as planned. Unless, of course, you'd rather call off the wedding and pay for all those deposits and love bird food out of your own pocket. No? Thought as much. But behind the scenes, very little of this turns out to be plain old wedding planning. You see, your in-laws have actually invited a bunch of their potential clients, the kind they want to impress and the kind who just happen to love golf and classical music. Now fast forward to your wedding night as you drop the fourth tequila of the evening and it dawns on you that you had it backwards the whole time. Your freshly minted in-laws didn't sponsor 60% of your wedding, you in fact sponsored 40% of their business retreat. So Marlon, save our listeners again because this nightmare wedding isn't real, but externally managed companies are. And more people might be invested in them than they realize. And now to be fair to externally managed companies like REITs, just because there are potential conflicts of interest does not mean that anyone is doing a bad job or a biased job, only that it may be worth some deeper scrutiny. And maybe most importantly, there are risks associated with any investment. All the fun is in identifying that risk and knowing how to handle it. Now in your paper, you wrote, quote, to accurately assess those risks, it is necessary to look at externally managed companies through a different lens. So using that different lens that you and the team have been developing through your research, if someone does hold shares or wants to hold shares in an externally managed company like a REIT, what are the kinds of things to look out for? So what we're basically trying to do is kind of figure out what type of metrics that we would need to kind of judge the governance of these externally managed firms. So of course, like uh, an independent board is beneficial But I think for externally managed companies, there's an even stronger need for like independent directors to approve, for example, related party transactions, to have a committee dedicated solely to this management relationship. So not the whole board, but a few independent directors working just to like review the management contract. I think one of the key things is also the fee structure. In Asia, it's very common to have um, kind of an acquisition fee. So basically, the company or the management company will get a bonus when they buy or sell a property. And also, like, what are the performance measures? Are there any other kind of sketchy fees that doesn't really make any sense? It's that kind of fee structure that we feel like investors should really focus on when they look at the governance of REITs. All right, and that brings us to the end of our show. 
a deeper look into externally managed companies and how to understand some of the potential risks for investors. I have learned a lot through putting this episode together. For one, how quickly the balance of interests underneath a company's surface can shift with just a few changes to the scaffolding. How to scratch a little harder to understand whether words like sponsor are really as innocuous as they sound. And how to ask the right questions about who is benefiting and why. And maybe also just how bad a wedding can go if you don't keep an eye open for related party transactions. A huge thanks to Marlon for sharing her insights with us. She's already back at work with our broader corporate governance team, turning oddities and market nuance into a model, a model that helps investors like you see clearly through the sometimes murky waters of corporate governance. And lastly, a big thanks to you for tuning in. It is always a great pleasure to share our ESG insights with our listeners. Don't forget to rate and review us wherever you're listening to this. All and any feedback is really great. It helps us get better and much more importantly to get you what you really want to hear. Don't forget to hit that big shiny subscribe button. Stay safe, stay sane, look after yourselves and your loved ones and I cannot stress this enough, keep washing those hands. The MSCI ESG Research Podcast is provided by MSCI Inc.'s subsidiary, MSCI ESG Research LLC, a registered investment advisor under the Investment Advisors Act of 1940. And this recording and data mentioned herein has not been submitted to and or received approval from the United States Securities and Exchange Commission or any other regulatory body. The analysis discussed should not be taken as an indication or guarantee of any future performance, analysis, forecast, or prediction. The information contained in this recording is not for reproduction in whole or in part without prior written permission from MSCI ESG Research. None of the discussion or analysis put forth in this recording constitutes an offer to buy or sell or a promotion or recommendation of any security, financial instrument, or product or trading strategy. Further, none of the information is intended to constitute investment advice or recommendation to make or refrain from making any kind of investment decision and may not be relied on as such. The information provided here is as is, and the user of the information assumes the entire risk of any use it may make or permit to be made of the information. Thank you.